Can I just wrap a little bit before I really get going here in the message? Um, first of all, happy Father's Day. Not actually rap. Like, I'm not actually going to rap. <laughs> all I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. All I have is like 90s gangster rap. You don't want to hear that. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, hey, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to um, fathers in the house, but particularly my dad. Um, man. Um, Can I tell you one of the things that I love most about my dad? He's the same guy here as he is there. Dad, I want to I want to thank you for modeling what it means to be a man of God. And this kind of probably goes without saying cuz I'm here like at this church but I trust you to be my pastor. And I feel like in today's world where some of the institutional trust for pastoral ministry is crumbling, um, I want you to know that I trust you to be my pastor. Guys, I'm I'm telling you, (laughs) I've seen this man at his best and at his worst. And I can absolutely tell you hands down, he is exactly the man that he shows on the platform, off the platform. I love you, Dad. Is, uh, is, is Austin still here? Austin, you still here? I wasn't sure if he went home. I, I, can I speak a word over you, bro? Um, I, uh, I got overwhelmed this morning. Um, there was two things that, 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 that I felt like the Lord really put on my heart. First was just an overwhelming sense of gratitude to be part of this mighty company of people. I mean, I was, I was over here. I was over here sitting because I couldn't stand under the weight of God's presence. And uh, earlier on in the set, Austin, I, uh, I was just, I was, dude, I am blown away by how much you have grown. And, and you know, it's funny. I remember <laughs> those of you guys who, who've been here a hot minute. Um, when Austin first came into our church, he was like, he had this huge curly afro. And I remember, and like he used to, he, he would, uh, he would play on our worship team on Wednesday nights. And I remember him, I, like clear as day, I remember him one day coming into youth with a cape on. Like a cape, like a like an actual cape, and I, you know, as as I'm watching him lead worship this morning, um, I, I I remembered back to that. But what I heard the Lord say was, "He's not a kid anymore." And I was like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> I know." But what the Lord told me, Austin, He said, "This is going to be a season of an exponential increase of authority over your life, where at times it has felt like you're still the kid in the room." I actually saw this picture of you. It was really strange because, again, guys, I want, I want you to know I am not a weird guy. The Lord just says weird stuff to me. <laughs> but what I saw, Austin, is I saw you here at the Keys, but it was like you grew and like you, you got more sizable. Like by the end of it, you were like seven feet tall. And, and, and what I heard the Lord say, by the way, you're not going to probably grow anymore. But <laughs> what I heard the Lord say was, I'm increasing you in this season beyond what you've seen even in the past 10 years. The growth that you have experienced, the authority and the increase that you have seen, I'm actually going to expedite. 
I'm going to expedite the growth to where it, it will feel like you've grown in maturity 20 years in a year. This is a new season where God is expanding you for the work of ministry, and he's, he's increasing you in authority for the work of ministry in this house. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much this morning for my brother Austin. I thank you. I thank you that there is no guile in this man. I thank you for an agendaless person. And God, I thank you that when we humble ourselves, you exalt us. And so, Lord, in this season, I just pray for an increased growth. God, I thank you for what you're doing in his life. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do in him. And, Lord, we are so grateful to witness this increase. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're wondering what this is, it's been kind of a long week. Felt like coffee wouldn't do it this morning, so I had to get a Red Bull. Hey, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I, have the, I have the honor to continue our series called Gifted. And if, uh, if you are taking notes, I'd, let, I'd have you write down, please, normal Christianity. Normal Christianity. How many of you have something either in your life or in your family that is normal to you, but you realize is not normal to anybody else? Um, for those that don't know me super well, I sing a lot. And, and, and I don't just sing in church. I sing all the time. Now, to be honest, I came by it very, very honestly. My mother is a songbird. Like, I think, I think probably growing up in, in the house that I grew up in, I didn't know five minutes of silence. But see, here's the thing, is that even though singing a lot is really normal for me, I've recognized over the years it's actually pretty abnormal for other people. In fact, you know, Mom, what I've noticed? People outside of church don't appreciate my singing (laughs) as much as people inside church. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I sang so much as a kid that my parents just wanted silence. And so they told me that it was rude to sing at the dinner table. (laughs) What's funny is I went over to a friend of mine's house when I was a junior in high school. This is, I'm 17 years old at this point. I have been told my whole life that it is rude to sing at the dinner table. And this particular family, there were like, there were like 10 of them. And every single one of them, it's like they didn't pray over their dinner. They sang over dinner. And so I'm sitting there thinking, this is the rudest family I have ever been around in my entire life. <laughs> and so I, I asked the mother, I was like, Mrs. Fitz, um, why are you singing? I've heard that it's rude to sing at the dinner table. And she was like, oh, honey, who told you that? <laughs> my mother. <laughs> but here's the point. What I've realized, what I've realized is that there are things that are normal for me that just simply aren't normal for other people. Now, most of the time, those, those things that become normal for us, they're just a part of our experience, right? They're part of the way we grew up. Like, you ever heard that, uh, you ever heard the story of the person, the lady that used to cut the ends off of a roast before she put it in the oven? Always. In the preparation process, this particular woman, she cut the ends off of the roast every time. When she was asked about it, she said, oh, I don't know. That's what my mom always did. When they asked her mother... She said, I don't know, that's what, my, that's what my mom always did. When they asked the grandmother, she's like, oh yeah, that was because at the time, I, my pot was too small and I had to cut the ends off the roast every time. 
See, but for the believer, our practice isn't by default. It's by design. Our practice isn't by default. It's by design. Our experience is shaped by a biblical framework first and a practical framework second. Which means that if I see it in Scripture, I should be going after it. If I see it in Scripture, I should be going after it. You know what I've heard a lot, Jason? You know this phrase I've heard a lot that I really don't like? It's the phrase radical Christian. Radical Christian. I hear radical thrown, a, thrown around a lot in the church. Like you see a guy that just went to summit, just got super fired up, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what do you hear? Oh, man, he's radical now. Wow. Man, Pastor Stephen, he is radical about the gospel. <sighs> that guy. Can I tell you where you won't find the term radical? The Bible. You won't find radical in Scripture. Because what's in Scripture is normal. What's in Scripture is normal. See, if I'm not practicing what I see in Scripture, I'm not normal. I'm actually abnormal to the Christian experience. Listen, this is Romans 12, 3 to 8. It says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Can I stop right here just really brief? This isn't even in my notes. Can I tell you what Paul's not trying to do right here? He's not trying to tell you to think less of yourself. He's telling you to be honest about yourself. When he says that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, where there's also the reminder that I am a child of God and my identity comes from him. You see, when I, well, I just, Jason, I just hate false humility. Can we stop? Can we stop with the false humility? By, by the way, Jason's not like falsely humble. The Bible doesn't tell us to throw ourselves under the bus constantly. All Paul is saying is, don't find yourself in a position where you think way more of yourself than you actually are. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, I need you to hear this one more time. There's a reason Paul says it twice. And it's because it's really important. He said, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts, which means what? What is a gift? It's something that you have been given. You have been given something. How many of you have ever given one of your children a gift that they didn't use? You know, I remember, I remember I got, I'm, my kids are now to a point where they have an opinion about what they want for their birthday. Like, you guys remember getting to that point where like, you, you, mom, mom and dad didn't just surprise you anymore? Well, maybe some of you guys are like surprise people. I'm not a surprise person. Like, if you want to know what to get me for my birthday, bro, just ask. I will tell you, I promise you that. I remember, I remember when Alec was about seven, 
I got him a toy that I thought was awesome. Like it was like it was like an action figure. I think it was actually iron. It was like it was like a combination of like Iron Man and like and, and War Machine and all this. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't actually play with it. And I was offended, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is that my son just didn't really want to play with that, and that's okay. But I got to remind you. That in scripture, when we talk about spiritual gifts, can I remind you that your gift isn't for you and it's not about you? You know what's really weird? What's strange is that I, I, can't, even, I can't even tell you how many people that I've given prophetic words over. I can't get one for myself. You know, there, there's, a, there's a guy that some of you probably know who I'm talking about, but his name is Smith Wigglesworth. Great name. Smith Wigglesworth uh, was was a was a healer, uh, a guy that had a gift of healing in the uh, uh, in, in the early 20th century. But the interesting thing about it is, even though that, like there were thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles recorded through Smith's ministry, his entire adult life he struggled with kidney stones, and he kept praying and kept praying and kept praying and kept praying that God would relieve him of those stones. Until God said, stop praying about it. Suffer well. The point is this. The point is this. A lot of us are treating spiritual gifts as though they belong to us and they're for us. See, if it's for me and it belongs to me, then I can kind of do whatever I want with it. But actually, the scripture tells me that it's according to the grace that has been given to me. That I am to use the gifts that God has given me to bless the church. In accordance to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. diligence, Showing mercy with cheerfulness. I want you to consider the voice that Paul is using here. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying when I say the voice? Like every author that you've read has what we call a voice. The, I mean, you could, read, you could read 10 different books on 10 different subjects by the same author, and it would still kind of sound the same. You know what Paul's not doing right here? He's not trying to whip you into a frenzy. He's not trying to get you all hyped up and then hit you with his cloak. Like, he's not like, he's not shouting in tongues and just trying to get everybody all psyched up. No, what he said is, hey, you have gifts. With that gift comes the responsibility to use the gift. See, if I complain to my dad that I can't get to work because my car's broken down, and then he gives me a car, and I still complain about not being able to get to work, the gift that he gave me isn't actually doing what he gave it to me to do, because I haven't picked up the keys and turned the car on. He's simply, Paul here is simply telling them what is obvious and normal for the believer. You have been given gifts, and you should be using them. Here's the big idea. What we label radical, the Bible humbly calls normal. I'm not a radical believer because I prophesy. I'm a normal Christian. Jason isn't a radical believer because he lays his hands on the sick and they get well. 
he's actually normal. Because what we're seeing right here in both Romans, and we've, we've seen it in 1 Corinthians, you see it in 2 Corinthians, you see it in all these places, is that when God gives you something, there is now a responsibility on you to use it. You know, I think sometimes we forget, you know, that, Stephen, I, I still, the parable of talents is messing me up, dude. Because it's like God gives us something and then he expects us to actually use it. Wow. Incredible. Everybody okay this morning? Okay. Which means we need to get back to a scriptural definition of the use of spiritual gifts. You guys ever watched the show Hoarders? Wow. You know, to a hoarder, the idea that a house can be clean and tidy might be radical, but that doesn't actually make it a radical concept. Now, for the person that you tend to be more insular, I, I get it that it's, it, it can be uncomfortable to actually operate in the things that God has given you. You know why it's uncomfortable? Because there's, a, there's an element of faith that can't be denied in it. Keanu, can I tell you like one of the hardest things about operating in the prophetic ministry? Believing that God's going to show up. That's the hardest thing. Like... I've done, I've done all sorts of, you know, platform ministry, presbyteries, like all this kind of stuff. And, and every single time I do one, right as I step on that stage, I'm like, oh God, you're, you're still with me, right? <laughs> you still got me because I don't have it. Like, Troy, is that, is that you back there, bro? Can you, is this okay? Can you flip the lights off real quick? Go ahead and turn it back on. Did Troy turn off the lights or did the electricity turn off the lights? A little of both, right? Like he had to activate the switch. But if there was no electricity there, he's just flipping a switch. Like a madman. See, this is, this, is, this is why Paul, when he's talking about prophecy, and I, want, I don't want to get too deep into this just yet, but when he's talking about prophecy, he doesn't say, according to the depth of your prophetic gift. No, he says, if prophecy in accordance with the measure of faith. Paul's teachings on spiritual gifts were not given for an informational relationship with the things of the Spirit. They were given as a practical guideline. Paul wouldn't have had to give a practical guideline if people weren't operating in it. He'd have to tell them, you guys should really want this. Like It's, it's partially why in 1 Corinthians 14, before he even talks about order within the church, he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Like, actually want it. Actually desire to partner with the Spirit of God, to allow Him to do the things that you can't do. Can I tell you what I can't do without the Spirit of God? I can't heal the sick without the Spirit of God. I can't prophesy without the Spirit of God. I can't cast out demons without the Spirit of God. Most of what I do as a believer that is, that is in practice, 
Like not just not not character development. Like there's a lot of things that I can work on myself. And we love that part, man. Like we love the part where it's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm growing in the fruits of the spirit. And by the way, oh Lord, you need to be growing in the fruits of the spirit, right? But the thing is, is that there is part of this relationship that I have with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit that I cannot do on my own. The only thing that I can do is be available. See, some of us are so concerned about counterfeits in the gift that we forget that the best way to identify a counterfeit is to have authentic encounters often enough that counterfeits can't get by you. You know, one of the main ways that banks train their people to notice a counterfeit is just by giving them all sorts of authentic money to put their hands on. Because the more that you feel something, the more that you taste something, the more that you smell something, when something comes across your desk that isn't real, you're like, this doesn't feel right. Can I tell you the problem of discernment divorced from authentic encounters? Discernment divorced from authentic encounters with the Holy Spirit is simply a spirit of suspicion. If everything, if I believe that everything is suspect, I won't believe anything. My discernment cannot be shaped by suspicion. It has to be shaped by authentic encounters with the real manifested gifts of the Spirit. You know how I can tell when there's a false prophetic word being spoken? Because I know what an accurate, authentic one sounds like. I haven't been called to suspicion. I have been called to sober-minded discernment. So how do we normalize the movement of the Spirit in our lives? Like, that's a real question, right? Like, so much of what we do growing up as kids is the product of what has been normalized in our homes. Like, what our parents do on a regular basis, we just sort of assume everybody does it this way. So how do we work that into our lives? Number one is this. Normalize training. Normalize training. Romans 12, 6, again, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it in accordance with the proportion of one's faith. You know, there's a, um, there's a, there's a particular pastor down in Dallas. Some of you probably know the name. His name is Matt Chandler. And uh, Matt is, is kind of an interesting pastor in the sense that, on one hand, he's, he's very reformed, which we're not reformed, but all right. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's very reformed. But typically, what you find in reformed circles is actually a lot of cessationism. Matt is a, Matt's an interesting, an interesting mix because on one hand, they're very reformed and yet he is also charismatic. There's a woman in his church that actually, um, she has a, she has a whole training on how to interpret dreams, dream interpretation. And at one point, Matt said, he said, yeah, I had this guy come up to me. She had given a presentation on a, you know, on a Sunday, and I was just telling people, hey, if, you, if you're interested in learning more, go to this website. And he comes up to me afterwards, and he says, he says Pastor Matt, you've got to shut that down. Nobody ever, nobody ever trained Daniel in dream interpretation. Nobody ever, nobody, ever, no, nobody ever trained Joseph in dream interpretation. That's manipulation. And Matt said this. He said, you know, what's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible told me to preach the gospel, but it didn't tell me how. 
but you seem to be okay with the outcome. Like for whatever reason, we are absolutely okay with preachers learning how to preach. But for whatever reason, we're super hesitant about, well, man, I don't know that you can teach the gift of healing. Friend, have you ever preached? If you didn't know how to preach, you might think that you can't be taught how to preach. But for whatever reason in our minds, when we think about the supernatural gifts, prophecy, healing, that kind of stuff, we're like, well, you can't teach that. Actually, you can. And can I remind somebody right now, what I'm doing right here is no less spiritual than what I did early on when I gave Austin a prophetic word or what I might be doing later if I prophesy over somebody else. There is not a huge jump between preaching the word of God and prophesying. Why is it that when there's this, when, when I step out of this spot, where you guys are probably okay with the fact that I've taken a lot of courses and classes to actually become a better preacher, right? Five of you are okay with this. Nice. For the rest of you, you're absolutely convinced that I popped out of the womb ready to preach. But for whatever reason, when I step out of preaching mode and I step into prophetic mode, you're just like, whew. Man, Pastor Joel, boy, he's really got a gift. Oh, yeah, I mean, I have a gift, but that gift has been shaped and honed by training. I need to tell somebody in the room, there's a reason why a lot of people won't even get started moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And it's because they don't know how. And because they don't know how to do it, they don't actually start doing it. And so we look at guys like Jason, because at one point Jason didn't know how to work in the spirit. But now that he does, we're like, wow, so radical. No, so normal. Teaching, can I, can I tell you? Teaching and training are not designed to give you a methodology. They're not to, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to train you to prophesy like I do. Teaching and training are designed to help you get a rhythm. I have taken dozens of classes over the last 14 years in ministry. And I can tell you that whether it's, whether it's preaching, whether it's prophetic ministry, whatever it is, I can absolutely hands down tell you that in every single one of those classes I've taken, I have not done exactly what they told me to do. Because I, I, I take pretty seriously what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. We kind of boil it down to this particular phrase. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. Which is, I take from some of these courses the things that make sense to me, that help me to move forward in whatever it is that I'm training myself to do, and yet at the same time, I can't put on Saul's armor. See, Jason here, if I was going to have Jason train me, I would take a training from Jason, and then I would probably do it somewhat differently. Because the idea is not to gain a method, it's to gain a rhythm. Nick. Nicholas here, if you don't know Nicholas, he's a wonderful, wonderful young man, by the way. Super handsome. Good job, Josie. So Nick, let me ask you a question. Those of you who don't know, Nick is a, uh, a cross-country coach. Track. Do you have to train people how to run? Yeah. 
Something as normal and natural as running. How many of you know, sometimes you run wrong? Like, I, I don't know if anybody else in the room is like this. I'm flat-footed. I, I, I kind of, when I run, I almost have like a little bit of a, like my toes point out. See, if I was in Nick's track and field, he wouldn't just be helping me with my time. He would be saying, dude, you got to correct how you're running. Because if he can correct my running, the time will take care of itself. I mean, I'm only going to go as fast as I can go, Nick. I mean, let's be honest. It, it, it's not fast. Thanks, man. <laughs> Listen, my point is this. Training is designed to correct your feet. It's designed to correct the fundamentals so that you don't end up being that guy that like just went to the, you know, eighth portal of heaven and, you know, had some sort of revelation that now trumps the Bible. Like that's where we go wrong is that we didn't learn. We didn't learn how to set our feet right before we started running. But until we get to a point where we say, I want to actually be trained in how to operate in spiritual gifts, most of us will not actually operate in them. See, my mom and dad, when I was 16, gave me a car. Now, to be fair, it was a Scirocco, so it's better than nothing, but the poor man's Porsche, right? <laughs> But the thing was, is that before I got into the driver's seat, turned that key, and drove down the road, I actually had to get trained in how to drive. I had to go through a training, despite the fact that this is an incredibly normal thing in the United States, to just drive your own car. The point is that training gets you moving forward. How you start, can I remind somebody, how you start is not necessarily how you finish. You know, when I was playing football back in the day, I absolutely hated August. August was the worst. Two-a-days, man. And if you did it poorly, like I remember one particular week, one particular week, we had a really, really bad Monday practice. And so our coach was like, oh, that's how it's going to be, huh? Three-a-days the rest of the week. But the interesting thing is, that's not how the rest of the practices went for the rest of the year. I had to get, there was a certain level of training that I had in the beginning that I didn't need at the end of the season. Listen, I want to I I make this really clear one more time. The purpose of training is not to give you a method, it's to give you a rhythm. Number two, normalize the diversity of gifts. Normalize the diversity of gifts. Some of you, how many of you realize the Bible has some disturbing imagery? You know, one of the most disturbing images in the scripture is actually out of Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Let me just let's read this to you. The four living creatures that were surrounded, the context, the surrounding the throne of God, were covered, covered, this word, covered, covered with eyes in front and in back, were around the throne on each side. Most of the imagery, can I, Josie, can I remind you, most of the imagery about angels in the Bible describes them as like creatures with like multiple wings and a crazy amount of eyes. You ever seen something with even just three eyes? Ooh, spiders. 
like an up, anyway, <laughs> we're not going to talk about spiders. My point is this, as weird as that is, it's like the church kind of like looks that way right now, where everybody wants to be the same thing. We all want to be an apostle. We all want to be a prophet. We all want this gift. We all want that gift. What if I told you you don't have that one? Yikes. Like, eyes are really cool, but if you had, like, 15 eyes and no fingers, would that be helpful for you? Like, wow, I can see everything. I can't touch anything, though, so that's a bummer. Listen, can I just give you a basic breakdown of all the spiritual gifts in the Bible? Like, I'm just going to literally say all of them, right? Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, healing, leadership, giving, mercy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, miracles, the distinguishing of spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, helps and administration, that isn't even, that is, I'm, not even, I'm not even adding the five-fold ministry in here. There's like 20 gifts right there. Listen, you need to hear this. You are not Jesus. You don't get all of them. You're not Jesus. You don't get them all. Like Jesus is the five-fold ministry. Jesus had it all. I bet Jesus was a better administrator than Ruth. And that's crazy. But the thing is, it's okay that you don't have them all. You know, Paul talks about another portion of Scripture. He's talking about the, the body understanding its need for, it, for, for, for every part. And, and we've, we have this perspective sometimes where maybe we are a finger. And we're like, but I want to be an eye so badly. But you're not, is the thing. Can, can, I, can I just ask you something? Can we stop being envious of someone else's gift and be grateful for our own? I'm absolutely standing here to, this morning telling you that one of the gifts that I appreciate the most is a gift of administration. Can I tell you why? It's because I'm terrible at it. You would not want to see what this church looked like if I was the main administrator. We would have problems. Lots and lots of problems. But thank God that he didn't make everybody an eye. Can Jesus use anyone to do anything? Absolutely. And yet, if he didn't... Oh, can I... Maybe, maybe I'll say this a different way. Can, so can Jesus use anybody however he wants to use them at any time? Then why did he distribute gifts? What was the point? If at any moment in time, Jesus would hands down use whoever was in the room, why distribute gifts? Why not give everybody the same thing just in case the only person that was willing to say yes was Nick? Because he trusts you and he trusts his plan for your life that you are going to be in the room when you are needed. You know, Good Friday, um, back in April... A young man was brought to me uh, for prayer. And what they were asking for was that God would touch his body and heal him. And I was like, 
man, I can maybe count on one hand the number of times that I have prayed over somebody and they have gotten healed in a moment. But I've seen Keanu pray over quite a few people who got healed in a moment. And so instead of simply saying, God, please use my hands, I said, Keanu, come here, dude. And you know what? The guy got healed. Can we have the humility necessary? Can we have the humility? I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to like throw myself up in a humble brag kind of way. Like where I'm like, <laughs> look how humble I am. I'm very proud of my humility. <laughs> but can we have the humility necessary to realize, I know somebody in the room who actually has a gift of prophecy. Maybe I should talk to them. I know somebody in the room who has a gift of healing. I know somebody in the room has a gift of administration. But the thing is, I don't know that if I don't know what your gift is and if you don't know what it is. Can't call for the administrators if you don't know that you're administrating. Sorry, am I ranting? I feel there, there was a little rant in there. I bring this up because we have the propensity to envy the gifts of others and it minimizes the importance of our own gift. You know what my eye can't do? Grip something. Can't pull the trigger. That's a weird, you know, there's a lot of gun people in here, okay? Where would you be, Jason, if you couldn't pull the trigger? Anyway, the point is, if all I think about, if all I think about is the importance and the beauty and the wonder of my eye, and I forget how important this pointer finger is, have you ever gone a period of time without being able to use your hand? Dude, it is the worst. I broke my hand one time punching a wall because I was awesome. And <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not my best moment. Anyway, I spent six weeks having to shower with one hand. Like, you know how hard it is to shower with one hand? I never appreciated my right hand as much. I was like, oh my gosh, I can write things again. Unbelievable. Listen, stop minimizing what God gave you. Stop asking for something that he didn't give you and thank him for something he did. Because I don't need a million prophets in the church. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I don't want you to prophesy because Paul actually explicitly says it in 1 Corinthians 14 where he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So like, I don't want to minimize any of the giftings, but at the same time, I don't want to elevate one so much that nobody wants the rest of them. Don't let the knife that you have rust because you're busy wishing you had somebody else's steak knife. Number three. Normalize activation. Normalize activation. This is Ephesians 4, 6 to 13. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself... Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Listen, we love that first one. We're like, yeah, fivefold ministry. Or we hate that one. We're like, fivefold ministry. Can I tell you what the second part of this says? 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Can I tell you why I love hearing people's testimonies? Like of, of, of things that God did through them this week? Number one, I just love hearing about God working, right? I, I love to hear the Lord, you know, God healed me. The Lord said this over my life. Awesome. I love to hear that God is moving. The thing I also love is that I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to be there. To be quite honest with you, the American church has to have a big U-turn in how we view our responsibility. Because for too long, we have been operating under this man of God syndrome that nothing can happen unless Pastor Jeff's in the room. Nothing can happen unless Pastor Brian's in the room or Pastor Stephen. Nothing can happen unless Pastor Joel's there. That is absolutely untrue. In fact, my job is not to do your job. My job is to equip you to do your job. That's what that, this, Ephesians 4 is talking about. We get hung up a lot on the title of it. Like, who's the prophet? Who's the apostle? Who's the pastor? Who's this? Who's that? That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is, my job is to equip you to do your job. Because I can't go where you can go. We have to dispossess possess ourselves of the notion that real ministry is done in church on Sundays. That somebody needs healing and we're like, well, man, you just need to come to church with me on Sunday. Do they need to come to church with you on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. They should be in church with you on Sunday. But what would be really great is if we just prayed for them right there and saw God heal them. What'd be really great is if instead of waiting until Sunday for the pastor to preach the gospel to him, you just preach the gospel to him. How would you like to lead somebody to Jesus? I can absolutely tell you, leading someone to Jesus is one of the most exciting and incredible moments that you will ever experience. But we won't get there unless we understand what our responsibility is. Listen, what God can do here he can do there. God is not limited by our building. He's not limited by the, by, 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 the, by the music. He's not limited by the preaching. In fact, the only thing, gosh, guys, can I just be really honest with you? The only thing that can limit God is us. Us. When Jesus went to Nazareth, his own hometown, the Bible records that because of their lack of faith, he couldn't do many miracles there. I want you to consider that for a moment. There are like two different times in the Bible in which God is like limited. That's one of them. And it was because people simply didn't believe him. You imagine seeing Jesus in the flesh. Mom, you imagine seeing Jesus in the flesh and then being like, I don't know about this guy, man. Uh, you know, I, I heard he, uh, he raised a dead kid to life in Jerusalem. He can't even heal a sniffle here. Yeesh. Man, friend, I want to remind you this morning that you have been given a gift, at least one. But I can't activate it for you. 
I can't, I can't force you to do the things that God is asking you to do, but I can try to encourage you and inspire you that if you're in the room today and you believe in Jesus, you have a gift on your life that needs to be used. Not so that you can just sharpen your gift, but can I remind you that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter, right? Like, oh yeah, you hear the weddings all the time. But the reality is it's not about marriage. It's sandwiched in between an explanation of spiritual gifts and then the order of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, which tells us that what Paul is talking about is he's saying that our motivation for operating in any kind of spiritual gift is love. It's a love for people because I know, can I tell you why I don't prophesy? I don't prophesy because I want to get better at prophesying. I do it because I recognize Keanu needs a word. I do it because I recognize Adrian needs a word. I do it because when I see people, I see purpose. When I see people, I see destiny. And when I see it, I got to speak it because they need to hear it. It's not because I want to get better. It's because I love people. Listen, I want to remind you this morning. I want to remind you that the reason we operate in gifts is because we love people. You know why I, why I called you over, Keanu? That, 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 that Good Friday? It wasn't even because you've got a gift of healing. It's because I wanted to see that young man get healed. Because I didn't want him to walk out the same way he walked in. What I want to encourage you on this morning is don't let people walk into walk out of your life the same way they walked into it. You have a gift that God has given you, not just for the building up of the church, but building up of people all around you. Here's where I'm coming in for landing. Romans 12:6. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. I had a person come to me a couple of years ago. I had just done a sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she came up to me and she said, Pastor Joel, when I pray, I can hear the gift of tongues in my brain. She said, she said, what I mean by that is, I know that if I just would speak it out, I would have it. But I think that's way too spiritual for me, so I don't ever do it. And I said, I said, so let me tell you, let me run this back. So you feel like if you just speak out the gift of tongues, you have it. She said, yeah. I was like, but you don't do it because it's too spiritual. She said, yeah. I was like, so God gave you something that you don't want, and so you won't use it. And she sat there and she thought about it for a minute because she was like, I never thought about it like God giving me a gift. Can I remind you that every gift that you have been given hasn't come from some place out in the middle of nowhere. It has come from your father. It's come from God and he actually wants you to use it. Man, I want to encourage you this morning. I'm not, you know what I'm not going to pray for today? I'm not going to pray that God is going to reveal to you whatever your spiritual gift is. Many of you probably already know what it is, to be quite honest. What I'm going to be praying for this morning is that you, that God would increase your faith to increase your impact. 
the truth is is that a lot of us are in a position where we don't go and pray for the sick because we actually don't believe that they're going to get healed we don't give people a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom because we don't believe that it came from god our issue is not that we don't possess gifts it's that we need to increase our faith See, every time that I step up on a platform and, and the Lord is going to move through me in prophetic ministry, you know when I said it was scary? It's because I have to remember God is walking up those stairs with me. Like, you know, not like walking, but you know where we're going with this. I want the Lord to increase your faith this morning. Because really, here's, here's the reality. I've said this a million times. I'll probably say it a million more. God always does the heavy lifting. Our part is like, it's like, it's like 10 to 90%. My part is the 10%. His part is the 90%. But that 10% still involves you standing up and allowing Jesus to move through you. Seriously, can we, can we jump up on our feet this morning? Here's what I want to ask today. Do you want more faith? Do you want more faith? Because that's what it's going to require to step out into what God has for you, you're going to have to do the same thing that Peter did. What did Peter do when Jesus told him to get out of the boat? Did Peter walk on water by himself? No, he got out of the boat. That's the one thing that Peter did right in that particular instance is that when Jesus said, come out on the water with me, he didn't say, whoa, hang on, man. That's water. We can't walk on this. No, he said, okay, I'll step out. Listen, I, I want to encourage somebody this morning. Can you just do the simple act of stepping out? The simple act of raising your hand and saying, Jesus, I want more faith. I want to believe for the things that I see in scripture. I want to believe for the things that, 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 that I'm hearing about in Armor Up. I want, to, I want to believe for the kinds of things that, that other people are seeing and witnessing on Sunday mornings and in their workplaces. I want to see it. Lord, I, I'm not saying, I, all I want is I want to believe you more. I want to believe you more. If that's you this morning and you want to believe God more, I want some more faith. Just raise your hand this morning. We're going to, we're going to respond in worship. Can I remind you this morning? And this why I love this song that we're doing. Can I remind you this morning that the same God that empowered Paul is in you? The same God that empowered Peter is in you. The same God that empowered every person that you that we look at in scripture or in history that has done incredible things for God. Every person, that same God is right on the inside of you right now. So Heavenly Father, this morning, would you increase our faith? Would you increase our faith? Holy Spirit, begin to fall in this place. God, begin to raise our expectation. God, begin to raise the level of our expectation. God, help us to say yes. God, help us to be available. God, help us in those moments not to shy back or to cower back, but to be recalling the stories of Peter, the stories of Paul, the stories of Moses, the stories that we have heard that we can experience today.